church family. I'm Alex Faust, I'm the college pastor here at Fondren, and uh, I just want to continue our worship this morning uh, in God's Word from uh, reading this passage in Matthew chapter 13. It reads this, the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great ca- uh, crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them, and some seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, but they had no depth of soil, so when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, and some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. For what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. But he endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and his deceitfulness of riches choke the word and prove it unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another case sixty, and in another thirty. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for good grace. God, we thank you for our worship this morning. God, that we would very boldly declare that you are great above all else around us. God, that you've been faithful through generations and it's not in your character to fail us and not be faithful now. Lord, would you be faithful in your word not returning void God, as uh, Daniel preaches to us this morning, God, give him uh, the words of life to speak. God, give us listening ears so that we might hear this word and bear fruit from it. Lord, it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. You can be seated. Thanks, Alex. My name is Daniel Wagner. I'm the executive pastor of ministry here, and it's my privilege to be up here with you in back-to-back weeks, like the great 21st century philosopher Drake said, back-to-back. And here I am, joke for the young people. Uh, Robert Green will be back next week as we pick up a new sermon series where we're looking through uh, several psalms for the month of July. Excited about a summer in the psalms that's happening. You'll hear more about that at the end. I am the last installment of this series that we're in on parables. Parables, as you uh, may know if you've been around church for a while or if you've been walking with us for the past couple of weeks, You'll know that parables are stories. They're stories that Jesus told, and they're stories that were very much inspired by the cultural realities of the day. We'll look today, as Alex just read, in Matthew 13. So you'll want to turn there if you have a Bible with you and you want to read along as we go along together. But you'll see that they're very much inspired by the, the way that it was back then in the first century. So this parable of a sower, while it might seem strange to us, is very much what it would have looked like for most of the people in an agricultural society to have farmed. 
Now, if you're like me, you lived in the city for a while, the great metropolis of Jackson, Mississippi, but nonetheless, there's not too much farmland here, but in Mississippi, because we do have so much agriculture, you may know a farmer. You may know someone who is a horticulturist of sorts, someone who's got a green thumb. Not me, I kill plants immediately. When plants see me coming at lows, they like look the other way and shriek because they're gonna be dead if they're with me. But we see a very agricultural society in Jesus's day and that's why he would choose this, the parable of the sower, to explain something about the word of the kingdom. It's interesting to see most parables, all parables really, are both stories about salvation about how salvation occurs through belief in Jesus Christ. Nothing we could do, no amount of good works, no amount of niceties, not enough money could you give away, not enough kindness could you show. Only Jesus' death on the cross secures salvation for us. But then we also see what it means for us to live a Christian life in these parables. So they're very much salvation stories, but they're also sanctification stories. Sanctification, the process of Jesus changing us to be more like himself through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see a parable of a sower here, and as we read it in Matthew 13, I'm going to give you today uh, three things. First, we'll talk about the nature of the soils. Second, we'll talk about the nature of the seed. And third, we'll talk about the responsibility of the sower. The nature of the soils, the nature of the seed, and the responsibility of of the sower. So we'll get into this parable because Alex already read it, and we'll look at our first thing together, the nature of the soils. So we see in the nature of the soils that there are these four different soils that are applied, and it's important to talk about sowing, even though we'll talk about the responsibility of the sower later. We'll talk about the act of sowing here at the beginning. It seems like a really strange way to plant. Again, I'm not much of a gardener, but I do kind of know the basic premise. Like, you create a hole in the ground that then something goes into, you cover it back up with dirt, and then it kind of just happens. Rain comes, you water it yourself, you go and you buy something nice, like, I don't know, Scott's, that's like a fertilizer or something, a brand, I think. Again, not much about plants. Could have done more plant-related research, but I did just enough. My eyes were kind of glazing over. So regardless of my lack of knowledge about plants, that's kind of how we do it, right? Maybe you have a flower bed, or maybe you have seen a tractor drive way too slow down a road that you thought, why am I following a tractor? I live in an urban area. It's 2022. Why am I following a tractor? But regardless, you know that you kind of got to till the dirt up so that you can plant something. Well, that's not how it happened in Palestine. That was actually kind of the complete opposite of how they would plant. What they would do is they would take a bag of seed, essentially, that was draped over a shoulder, and they would just walk down their long strips of serpentine farmland. So, you know, uh, if you own a home or are familiar with like what your yard looks like at the place that you live in, it might be a square, it might be a little bit more of a rectangle. The way that land worked then, uh, most farming, is that they had these long, straight strips. So it's this concept of this sower walking along in a straight line. And as he was going, he would take these seeds out of his bag and he would throw them on the ground. Seems really, really weird, but that's how they did it then. And that's why Jesus tells this parable in this way, because that's the way that they knew to produce uh, fruit, to produce a harvest. So we see that this seed, as it's sown by the sower, goes into four different types of soil. And we'll look at the first. That some of it fell along the path. And here's what I want us to look at together are the conditions of the heart that these four soils represents. That they would fell along the path is what would happen to this seed. So the sower threw some out and it was essentially on what would be now a paved sidewalk 
or a road that would go through the middle of these strips. Again, not great thinking as far as infrastructure goes. This is an ancient society. The Bible very much true for all people for all time. But we would see that these were the farming habits of an ancient society. So if you're like me, you think, wow, that's really weird and very annoying. I would hate to have a highway in the middle of my land, but that's just kind of how it went. So this guy would go, and like I said, he would just sow as he goes. He would sow as he goes. And some of it would fall along the path. And here's what's interesting. In the gospel being shared in the world, and you as a person, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, have a responsibility. We'll get to that in a little bit. But you also have a responsibility to sow. You would recognize people that have this disposition in their heart. They would be people who would reject the Lord. These might be people who, like in Jesus' day, were the Pharisees. They were committed to their own religious institutions. They had such a small worldview that they would say, you're not doing this thing right. You're not doing it my way. Jesus, how dare you bring change into the way that we have been doing things? They had a worldview problem. Or perhaps it was like the people of Nazareth, the people that Jesus grew up around, and they couldn't believe that Jesus was true because they thought, hey, we know you. You're, you're this carpenter's kid. Like we, we knew your parents, and you're telling us that you're the Lord of all. And they could not see Jesus as someone who was truthful. They couldn't see his power. They couldn't see him moving in the world because they refused to believe that their perception might not be the reality. And we know people just like that today. The hard hearts in our world, they're the ones who would have an intellectual knowledge of Jesus, a conceptual knowledge of Jesus perhaps, but are unwilling to let him rule and reign in their life. They give him no ground, no footing. They're hard-hearted. The second, that it would fall among rocky ground. And the rocky ground here is kind of fascinating because if you're like me, I think, okay, this fell on some rocks, but it's a little bit different. There was only um, a thin layer of topsoil in most of Palestine. So this would be area that would have kind of rocks sitting on the top so that the seed that fell there couldn't even get into the ground. So we'd see this, that this rocky ground would receive the seed for a very small amount of time, but then when uh, the heat came, when the sun would come, when it was in the dry season, whatever was produced there would wilt and would melt away. Jesus would say that these are the people who, when the times get tough, they choose the other thing. My wife, Carly, if you were here last week, you saw me show a picture of her leg. She had an outpatient knee surgery on Friday, so... I hope that she's not fallen and can't get up, has a real life alert moment while I'm here. Um, Yeah, laugh at my misfortune if that happens to me. Pray for me. But uh, people sit things like this, which is really cool, right? A great gesture. I'm really thankful for our friends. These are from some of our friends, Mary Jane and Brian, who were with us whenever Carly fell and made the initial fall. So I don't know if this is a, hey, I feel bad that I didn't help you not fall. I don't know what this is. But regardless, this is a really nice plant and it's beautiful. But this thing very much has a shelf life. Like these flowers are going to die at some point. They're nice and they look really beautiful. But at some point, because those flowers have no root, they have no depth, they will die. And that's the picture here is that these are uh, people that would evidence faith in Jesus, but that because there's no depth, there's no root, there's no connection to the one, no firm foundation like we sang earlier that they would be ones who would fall away. 
the house that my wife lived in before, before we moved into the one that we are in now, we had a neighbor who lived there since 1958. And when she and her husband moved there, they planted these magnolia trees in their yard. And now they are beautiful. They've grown up. They're huge, incredible to think about growth over time, spiritual growth over time for us. But it's interesting because those things had to have a good soil to thrive in, unlike those dead plants. So the heart here I want to identify, it's a distracted heart. I almost went with a shallow heart, but I felt like a shallow heart might be too hard. If you're like me, sometimes you're spacey and inattentive. I didn't want to insult both myself and maybe you if you're a little like Elwoods Woods and Legally Blonde, because I do think that Jesus can give faith to people like us, me, who might just drift off in the middle of a sentence with someone. But it's more than just being shallow, it's being distracted. It would be that you would see another thing that looks sweeter, that tastes sweeter, and that you might instead choose that thing over salvation in the Lord. As I was reading this week, I came across a story of Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a pastor in England um, a few decades ago. And he preached one Sunday, and when he was finished, a woman came up to him and said, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, if you would have uh, issued an altar call, I surely would have responded. And he thought, well, okay, wow, the gospel's obviously moving in this woman's life. And he said, well, what about now? Would you choose to trust the Lord for salvation now? And she said, "Uh, no, not now, but five minutes ago. Surely I would have. And he looked at the woman, at least this is how the narrative goes. Maybe he wrote this to say this well of himself later. But he looked back at the woman and he said, if Christ wasn't as sweet to you now as he was five minutes ago, then perhaps he wasn't sweet at all an interesting perspective for us. The third, that it would fall among thorns. This picture of a strangled heart, that these things took root, the soil was good, but in the soil there were these thorns, these brambles, that as the plant grew, as the faith matured, there were these things, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, Jesus tells us in Matthew 13 that those things would choke out growth and a thriving faith. Fascinating to think about. As I was reading this week, uh, an author put it like this, the distracted heart, uh, the strangled heart, rather, would be like this. Uh, a, A young man would get down on one knee and he'd propose to a woman, and he would say, darling, I love you with all of my heart, and I want to give you a great life, but I don't have money or a yacht like Johnny Brown, but I do love you. Will you marry me? And the woman on the other end sits there for a moment, and she thinks, and she says, darling, I love you. I love you with all my heart, but would you tell me some more about this Johnny Brown? (laughs) Now, in a moment like that, ah, dagger, and we would go, ah, how preposterous, right? How dumb to even Suppose that, but do we do that with the Lord? Do we say, Jesus, we love you with all of our heart. God, I want to give you every area of my life, but I'm not quite ready to give up this one thing, right? This addiction, this control that I have, this commitment to power or to pride, my love of money, not necessarily the money, but my love of money. Are we willing to yield those things to the Lord? Or do we have thorns in our life 
that would choke out the fruit that he would want to give us. And the final thing here in this first section is that they would fall on good soil and that they would produce grain. It's fascinating to see this because the the seed is the same, the difference is the soil as we see. But what's fascinating to me here is that it's not just that it fell on good soil and it was just there, right? Like, hey, the seed hit, it worked, great. But that it produced grain. And Jesus would say there in Matthew 13 that it produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. Now, we read that out of context and we go, wow, that seems like a seed is supposed to do that. But the average return on uh, seeds at that time, the average yield of one seed would be somewhere between like three and six. If it was a tenfold return, you would think that God himself had essentially come down and blessed that one field. But what does Jesus say about the life of faith? He says 30, 60, 100. It's interesting because you can read that and you can go 30, 60, 100. Well, maybe I'm like a junior varsity Christian, right? My, my faith isn't that great, but it's there. It's, it's better than some. It's better than no faith. Maybe I'm in the 30 category. And we do see that there's depth of fruit. There's something more for us to yield, right? That God would want to do more in your life, not make you do more. The things you do for the Lord are not have-tos, they're get-tos. It's a beautiful privilege to walk with our Lord. But what we see here is 30, 60, 100. It's not some Christians yield fruit that's like the standard, some yield a little less and some a little less. No, it's the opposite that a life of faith would yield a ton of fruits and a whole lot more and a whole, whole lot more. Yielding to what Christ wants to do in your life is the best return on investment that you can make. Think about your life and the way that you spend it. Right, if you're a parent and you're parenting, if you're working and you're working, if you're a friend and you're friendships, the spiritual fruit that Jesus would want you to produce in your life, live for him, It is abundant and unlike anything else. And that's what we see in the parable of the sower and the seed, that it's really about the soil. The next thing, the nature of the seed, I want to give this to you. Uh, I drove by a gas station because I'm country, I guess, and the first thing that I think about are sunflower seeds. You probably can't even see these in my hand. But this is the first thing that I think, I don't even know if we can grow sunflowers here. I'm sure we can, but... Again, I don't know anything about agriculture. But a sunflower seed here is tiny and unimpressive and for baseball games. (laughs) But this sunflower seed, if it was in the right context, I'm pretty sure this thing's dead and roasted with light salt. This is the low-sodium version, in case you wanted to know. From Fondren Fuel there. It's free advertisement for that. So this seed looks unimpressive. But the seed is the thing that does the work. And it's fascinating that God and this parable taught through his son would say, hey, my word is like a seed. Let's look at the nature of the seed. Here in Isaiah 55, Alex quoted this, and I don't even know if he knew that I was going to do this passage. In Isaiah 55, we would see this, first the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return there, but they water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing 
for which I sent it. Talk about a beautiful return on investment. That the word of God, yes, the word that you hold in your hand if you have a Bible in front of you, yes, the word that you've hidden in your heart, but the word, the son, the living word of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would see that sent out by God with intention. Isaiah 55, if you read further in that passage, perhaps you're familiar with it, beautiful prophecies about the coming Christ that Jesus would fulfill and show that he is the one about whom this was written. But we see seed to the sower and bread to the eater. The bread to the eater part's easy, right? It gives people that need something, something. You have a hunger. God meets the hunger with his word. But the seed to the sower, what is that about? Again, a seed, strange, unimpressive, small. And here's what I want to tell you is that Jesus could have chosen, again, anything. This is a fictitious story. He made it up to teach us about the nature of the kingdom of God, the word of the kingdom, both Jesus' salvation and the way that his rule and reign would be established on the earth. And he chooses a seed. And he says, he who has ears, let him hear. And I want to tell you this, as I've read this this week, this is the thing that I think has sat with me the most, that there's this paradoxical beauty. It doesn't make sense. It seems contradictory. It seems like there's a better way found in a kingdom that comes by hearing. Now, a kingdom that comes by hearing. Let's focus on kingdom here. We're familiar with kingdoms in the earth, right? Tomorrow is a uh, 4th of July. At least I think it is. My life is strange because I've been living on the couch for a while, helping my wife get over a surgery. But tomorrow, I think, is still the 4th of July, and that's where we celebrate this nation's independence, a real flex of America, by the way. It's like, hey, I know this war's not over, but like, we, we out. So, the American spirit in some of us, perhaps, but we see that we celebrate a nation's independence. But this is not a kingdom that would come by force or by rebellion. This is a kingdom that would come by hearing. I watched a movie yesterday, again, because I've been doing a lot of that in preparing for this, uh, The Woman in Gold, and it's a movie that Helen Mirren and Ryan Reynolds were in a few years ago. It's a beautiful story based on a true story of a woman whose family was run out of Austria. That's Austria, not Australia, Austria by Germany. For those of you that are bad at maps and geography and nations, and they were run out by the Nazis and left everything that they had, and her family was a well-to-do family in Austria, one of the fine families there. And their assets, including a painting of her aunt, had been seized by the government. Great movie, would recommend it. But what we see uh, here in the, the link I'm trying to make for you is that when the Nazis came into Austria, everyone knew it. They could see them. And whether you wanted to be ruled by Nazi Germany or not, you were in Nazi Germany. But what we see here is that in something as subtle as a seed that the Lord would offer a way into his kingdom. A seed with a small beginning, almost insignificant, tiny, easy to scrutinize, to wonder if it's really going to do what it says it's going to do. Can we really trust a seed to produce something significant? But what we see is that when the seed takes root, it produces something abundant. But it feels upside down, paradoxical. The Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. Some people want to see God move in power. Some people want to know that it fits into their worldview. But we preach Christ crucified, 
a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Even if it's despised, even if it's scrutinized, we know it's true. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, does this mean God's foolish? No. But it's what we would perceive as foolishness. The most unwise thing that God could do, which is still infinitely wise, we see that that is profound compared to the way that we would do things. So if you're like me, you read this parable and you go, Lord, why don't you just snap your fingers and give everyone a faith? Come on down and perform a miracle. Then they'll know that you're true. I'm tired. I'm tired of sharing the gospel. I'm tired of people not believing you. I'm tired of people mocking you. Why don't you just come on down? But that's not the way that he's just chosen to do it. It's not the way he chooses to do it. Instead, he chooses to work through us. So let's look at the last thing, the responsibility of the sower. If you look at that panel of stained glass there, I'll point that way, you see a man depicted as Jesus there with some seeds, throwing them out on a bag as he's walking along the path. It's fascinating. I come in here sometimes and pray, and we've done things like that around uh, Good Friday and prayed through this beautiful stained glass that we're so thankful for. It's, what a beautiful church. But we see here that Jesus is the one who's depicted as the sower in this stained glass. And I'll tell you, that's right, but it's not only Jesus. It's interesting, when you read this parable, the sower is kind of nameless, faceless. Now, in a later parable, Jesus would say of himself, I am the sower. God is depicted as a sower in the Old Testament. But it's left ambiguous so that we, the people that would have faith, whose seed of the kingdom has taken root, that we would be the ones who would go and do likewise. That we, like our Lord, who's a sower, that we too would be sowers. Now, the idea of evangelism, of sharing your faith, for some of you is very uncomfortable. Something you feel like you have little to no experience with. Something that, honestly, you might prefer to do. Perhaps it's because you don't know what to say, right? Perhaps it's because you uh, have more of an introverted personality. God bless you. We need people like you to balance out people like me. Whatever it is, but I'll tell you, God's placed you where he's placed you. He's given you your own path, Ephesians 2.10, that he would create good works for you to walk in, that he's prepared in advance. That the gospel is yours to receive, but it's yours to give. That because you've taken root, you must bear fruit. And evangelism is one of the fruit that we must bear as God's people. So as you sow, let me give you some suggestions for sowing, right? Evangelism, gospel sharing, it may be something that uh, you're unfamiliar with, that you're apprehensive about. I wrote the sermon discussion guide this week. If your small group goes through that, if not, it's available on our website, funnerchurch.com sermons. And at the bottom of it, I wrote a couple of resources down, uh, books that have helped me in my evangelism and in learning uh, how to share the gospel and how to better share the gospel. I'm looking at Diane DeFore right there. Diane and my wife, Carly, walked through a book that I have up here called Get Real, Sharing Your Everyday Faith Every Day. A beautiful book on how to do evangelism really, really well in a way that's 
normal. But let me tell you this. We've got to get this right because I think a lot of us, um, we miss opportunities for evangelism. We miss opportunities for gospel sharing because we misunderstand the job. It's important for us to know the nature of the job. What do I mean by know the nature of the job? Well, we're called to sewing and not to sniping. That's the best thing I could come up with in my brain. We're called to sewing and not to sniping. Now, there weren't like high-caliber rifles in Jesus' day, but there were slings and there were archers. There was the same concept in sorts. Now, sniping, uh, American Sniper, the Chris Kyle story came out several years ago. A lot of you probably got niche into that. I'm sure a lot of men here, you're like into guns and military things, and I wish John Wood was here because I'd make fun of him because he knows all these stories about SEALs. But what we see uh, in sniping is that it's very calculated, right? You set up your shot. You take the time. You do reconnaissance. You know who you're going after. It's very thoughtful. You've established your target before time. And you go in and everything's got to be just right. That's not what Jesus tells us to do. (laughs) Now, are those great principles for your evangelism? Yes. Am I telling you just go blind and be like, hey, Have you heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That could be effective for you, but also friendship evangelism, as we'll get to later, that's very important. So I'm not telling you it's one or the other necessarily. Those are great premises, but what I'm saying is that you can be like me and like I was for a while, and I would sit on my hands, and I'd wait for the perfect opportunity. God, open a door. Help me have a conversation. I want to make sure everything's just right. And if the temperature in the room was off one degree, not even in a metaphorical sense, but a literal sense, I would go, it's kind of hot in here already and we're going to get tense. Maybe I should wait. That's me too. We are in this together. But let's encourage one another to be sowers and not to be snipers. Let me give you an illustration here. Tyler Hendricks is right here. Hello, Tyler. Tyler was uh, with our team in Matamoros this week, Matamoros Children's Home uh, family mission trip that we just had. You're going to want to put that on your calendar for next year in the summer. We'll give you those dates sometime soon. But let's say that I'm uh, going to share the gospel with Tyler here. Tyler is so much of a Christian that he came to church when he flew in last night at like 11 o'clock after being in a, a mission trip. Tyler's an elder here, so obviously a believer, but here's the illustration. So I'm going to give Tyler this Kit Kat. I uh, took my two-year-old to the grocery store, and this is the candy we chose. So I'm going to give this to Tyler, right? And I'm going to make sure that everything's just right. Hey, that's all right. It was my thing, but a bad reception. Here we go. The illustration builds. Let's try it again and see how we do this time. Oh, and a miss by me to one Robert Aiken. That's sniping. But let's talk about sewing, right? As I have my unicorn bucket, I'm going to throw candy at you guys. Here we go. <laughs> okay. Did you get a Kit Kat, Tyler? <laughs> Okay, we get the picture here, right? Sniping, calculated. I gotta make sure everything's just right. Sewing. Hey, look, as I go about my life, I've got a lot of opportunities. Some of you got candy. Monica's eating her candy right now. That's cool. But we get this, right? That Jesus calls us to cast the gospel, the word of the kingdom, widely to many. The second is to trust the power of the product, not necessarily the Kit Kat. I don't think that's what I would have chosen, but I needed to get out of the grocery store alive. But we see that we've got to trust the power of the product, the gospel, the word of the kingdom. What has it done for you? 
If you're like me, you think about your life before Christ, you think about even your life with Christ, but if he wasn't there, you wonder how you could even make it through. That he would bring hope into despair, right? That he would bring the promise of healing either in this life or in the life to come in the face of sickness. That the gospel is powerful for all in need. We gotta trust the power of the product. And most of you in here would probably identify as evangelicals. That's become a dirty word in the political space. But most of your theological convictions would put you in that space. But here's what I think is an atrocity. And I pray that it's not true for our church. So many of you are bold gospel sharers. And I'm thankful for the way that you lead our church. But I'm convinced that many evangelicals have kept their commitment to social and moral and political reform. But they've lost their zeal for the gospel. That we know the gospel is great for us, but we wonder if it's just as good for others. So the question I want to ask you is this. Do you view the good news, the gospel, the good news, as the best news or just nice news? And your assessment of that will probably tell you something about your evangelism. Your hesitancy to be a sower. Are you convinced that for every point of pain that the gospel makes it better? For every lost and wandering person that the gospel gives them a home? For the lonely and the broken that there's a place to belong? Is it the best news or just nice news? And lastly, to find your field and to sow as you go. Again, this would have been a long strip, a long path that this sower would have walked down and thrown out to the side. And he would have had people on his right and on his left, also farming their land. Where has God placed you? What is your field? There's only one you. God's given you your workplace, your family, your neighborhood. Your routines. What is your field and how can you sow as you go? I want to invite you to stand up with me and I'm going to invite the band back up and I'm going to get really practical here because I think uh, several of you might feel like I want to go and apply this. I want to be faithful, right? I too want to be a sower like my Lord, but I don't know where to get started. Again, I've recommended several books in the sermon discussion guide. If you're connected to any of our pastors or any leader in our church, man, we want to help you share the gospel and share it really well. But here's what I want to give you really quick. I'll fly through these. One, here's just some counsel to be normal because it's going to be weird if you make it weird. I have a guy who I love. He's a friend of mine. Uh, When we were in college, he wore two different shoes so that he could start conversations about the gospel. Well, that was the strangest thing I'd ever seen in my life. (laughs) Not super successful. It sounds good on paper, but in reality, it's very, very weird. So here's what I'm saying. Be normal. Because it's going to be weird if you make it weird. The second is to be kind and to remember this, that we're trying to win people and not trying to win arguments. We're not trying to win arguments. We're trying to win people. If you're like me, you like arguments. You like going into conflict. 
But do we want to beat someone down if they're already the hard soil? The next one, to be thoughtful. In Colossians 4 would say, to let your words be seasoned with salt. Know who your person is. Know what they need. Know points of vulnerability and pain and, and baggage so that you can share well with them. The next one I think so many don't do is to be a question asker. So many times in your evangelism, people ask you the question, hey, what do you think about this type of people? What, can I still drink and be a Christian, right? How do I have to vote? We feel like we're always on the defense. Ask questions to people. Ask about their worldview. Ask about their life. Get to know them and see where the gospel that is applicable to every point of need really shines through for a person. Maximize your routines and make new ones. Here's a quick example. I get my hair cut by people that aren't believers. Now, if you're a believer here and you cut hair, like I'm not trying to put you out of business, I promise. But what I'm saying is I know that that's a time that I'm gonna have somebody who's captive and who needs me. And it's gonna be really awkward if we don't have anything to talk about. So I've used that as an opportunity throughout the years to share the gospel with people. One example of me, where are you? Where do you spend your time? How can you slow down? How can you be intentional? How can you maximize your routines? And if you're so busy, you may need to slow down to be faithful and you may need to make some new ones. Find a tool or tools and use it. Don't know what it is for you. The four spiritual laws, the three circles, the bridge. If you don't know what any of those things are, holler at me and I'll give you some stuff. But any tool is better than no tool. You need something to guide you so that you're not flying blind. Be prayerful. This is a spiritual work. Do not lead people to the Lord in your own strength. Have backup. Don't go at it alone. And I don't necessarily mean going two by twos, but if you know that you have a mutual friend who's not a believer or you have someone who lives in the same community as you and you've established a new relationship, invite people in so that you can be prayerful together and so that you can multiply a gospel witness. Remember, sowing broadly lots of seeds so that some might take root. And the last one, look to meet a need and give them something of value. What do I mean by give them something of value? Show them a better way. We look around so much brokenness, so much hurt, so much longing, so much despair for people who have no hope in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. You have an imperishable hope, an unshakable hope. Is that not yours to share? Absolutely it is. So let's go and so. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for you. And Lord, that you call us to join you in this beautiful work. Lord, what a privilege it is to give people the gospel. Lord, your kingdom has come. And Lord, we live in that reality. And God, we are grateful to be counted among your children. Lord, I know that there are those in the room who have every type of heart. Lord, there are some with a hard heart. Lord, they've heard this before and it's the same old, same old, but it hasn't taken root. And God, I pray today, Lord, that you would continue to sow seeds in their life. Lord, would people in this room that don't know you come to faith, God. Lord, for some, they're in a season now with little depth. Lord, would you help us as a church, Lord, through things like groups and things like missions, 
God, would you help us help people find more depth and a firm foundation in you? Lord, some of us, we have not put to death the things, Lord, that lead us away from you. We're trying to serve both masters and love them both. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us cut out the weeds in our life. And Lord, for those that have fallen on good soil, fruitful and faithful people, Lord, I pray that we would be ones that would see people come to faith through our ministry. Lord, through our friendship and our parenting and our workplace, Lord, everything that we'd see people come to faith. Lord, not because of us, but because of you, God, we're just the soil. The soil can't produce on its own. Only the seed. Lord, you are the one who keeps us faithful. You are the one who saves us. And Lord, you are the one who saves others. So Lord, I know a word like this is heavy for some. Lord, they're like me. They have people in their life that they pray for daily to come to know you. Lord, they wouldn't just go from being bad people to being good people. They'd go from being dead people to being alive people. Lord, would you give us all an urgency to share the gospel? Lord, would you transform, Lord, this city and this church that we could see more enter into your kingdom? God, that you would give people ears to let them hear. God, we thank you for these tithes and offerings, Lord, that support the ministry of this church. Lord, for those that follow in the biblical command of the tithe and offering, God, they live in faithfulness, and I'm thankful for their faithfulness. So, Lord, I pray that you'd bless these things, that you'd further your kingdom, and that you'd use us, God, to see people come to you. We pray these things in your great name, Jesus.